0: I rolled a two, silently. Stealthy two.
1: (laughs) Michelle, uh, you rolled a two, which means that the topic we'll be discussing today is, how do you run games when your group is just one or two players?
0: Awesome. All right.
2: (laughs) That's a good one. Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about running role-playing games. Each episode, our guest rolls on our table of topics and we discuss the result. My name is Chris Salzman. My name is Andy Rao. And this week we were joined by special guest Shell Khan, who just rolled digitally this time <laughs> on the table.
0: I did. I did.
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> Shell, I think you were our first guest who has used a
1: digital dice roller, so this is sort of a... a a, a monumental occasion on the podcast (laughs)
2: we've crossed over yeah
0: (laughs) my dice are all packed up from being outside of my house so they they are somewhere but they are not
2: yeah (laughs) here (laughs) um yeah well thanks for coming on the podcast so we got connected through kyle latino which i don't know he mentioned you on twitter um, i i know kyle yeah okay yes yeah Kyle's a good guy after he mentioned that we went and looked you up and you know you sent us your website and stuff and we realized that you've been involved in a, a number of really cool projects actually <laughs> for me right I saw um, I had read by Krom years ago heck like yeah and loved it right like it's super great
0: thank <laughs> yeah. you so much
2: yeah, and then Andy, I know that you had a, a project you liked too.
1: Yeah, uh, Shell did the art in or some of the art in the Yellow King RPG, which came out not too long ago. And if you haven't taken a look at that art, you really ought to go do yourself a favor and do so.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that was a really fun project. I did the art, the the sort of uh, painted illustrations inside the Paris book, which was yeah. uh, a wonderful thing to get to do a whole book as an illustrator.
1: When you were doing that project, did you go back and did you read the Robert Chambers stories and immerse yourself in that or what was your what was your approach to that?
0: So I actually had the the uh, incredible good luck to be in Robin Laws' home playtest group. Oh, wow. Okay. So I think we did a year and a half long playtest in the end oh of The Yellow King. So we had already done the Paris setting before. I think we really started talking about the illustrations and I had a great sense of not just the, the Yellow King stuff, but also the Paris setting that Robin had in mind for the book, and the feel of it, and the focus on artists, and so, and Robin oh. is a, a bit of an art nerd himself, so he had lots of suggestions about how he wanted that book to feel.
2: Yeah, so did you also manage to get a trip out, trip to Paris out of this as well, to go do some extra study?
0: So far, no. I have not, <laughs> no No RPG illustration project has flown me overseas. <laughs> um, yeah. If you know of yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. let them get them in touch but uh, what i actually did i i decided to focus the art in um so that i was making art that was reminiscent of this movement that happened at the end of the century end of the 19th century in paris uh called post impressionism so like not monet's water lilies stuff that's a little bit more representational but stuff that's getting playful with color or mood or getting really surreal And so I had the incredible luck in the middle of that project. I went to Columbus, Ohio to see a metal show on New Year's Eve. Nice,
2: yeah.
0: And the art gallery there had, it was the only stop in North America for a huge collection of post-impressionist paintings. So I'd spent, you know, three or four months looking at these paintings digitally and working from them and, and being inspired by them. And then I got to just go stand in front of them. And it was amazing.
2: That's so cool. So fortuitous. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was amazing yeah. luck.
0: Yeah. So I, I tried to bring some of that into the work. I mean, it's a it's mm. a really surreal story. Right. The the mm-hmm. King in Yellow. Yeah. And so it fit well with that movement in art and, as well as being the setting for the book.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, the art that you did is just yeah, it's fantastic, right? You know, looked it up before we jumped on, yeah, and I love, yeah, like you said, just like playing with colors and stuff. The colors in that are just so fun, right? It's getting away from, I think, like a lot of fantasy RPGs have kind of a, like a brown and green <laughs> color scheme. Yeah, we can to, we can uh, end up in that grim rest. dark
0: world sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I had I had such great permission for this one, and yeah, I I actually had this folder of art that Robin and I had agreed on as the inspirational art for this, this particular project and I just sat in Photoshop and I was like what is a color palette I can make from all of this artwork
2: hmm. Yeah, neat.
0: and that that was sort of how I directed myself and to keep hmm. all, I did 11 pieces I think, mm-hmm. to keep them all connected
1: Is Oops. RPG uh, artwork Ill- and illustration a big part of what you do, Shell, or just a side hobby or, or what?
0: It's ebbed and flowed. I've done a lot of it. It's been an amazing part of my life, but I also do a lot more teaching and writing now. So it's mm-hmm. it's sort of it's not taking a back seat at all. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but it's <laughs> it's less uh, it's less than a hundred percent of my freelance time now.
2: It's it's like okay. a sidecar.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's the motorcycle, and then everything else is shoved <laughs> into a sidecar. There's like eight cats yeah. in there. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh What kind of teaching? Uh,
0: so i've i have an art degree so i have done some teaching in that capacity at some private colleges teaching like still life painting and oil painting but
2: mm-hmm. i've
0: also had the good luck to work with museums and alternative high schools and community groups so mm-hmm. i got to teach art at the royal ontario museum through connecting mm-hmm. with daniel kwan who's a wonderful educator and D person that you should definitely All look right. up because he makes a million things Um, but he was teaching D&D there and I got so excited and he brought me in and I taught art and I taught comics and it was just a blast but then Daniel was also like what if you taught D&D but at this other museum they wanted me and I'm busy and I was like oh that sounds fun so I I ran Dungeon World for nine year olds at the Aga Khan Museum oh Uh,
2: that's fun
0: and that was like a, a, a short intense amazing experience
2: yeah, what was it like running for kids? I know there's there's been a number of guests on this this podcast that have you know kids that they're trying to run games for. I know Andy's trying to run games for his kids. So
0: I mean, you gotta be you gotta be ready to move <laughs> with whatever <laughs> they do. <laughs> I I found it incredibly fun. I also had like I I had a team of of three sort of assistants who were all experienced like museum educators and drama teachers and improv people. So you're mm-hmm. able to sort of like combine skill sets and figure out how to get the kids focused and how long they would sit at the table and how to get them in character. But it was also my, like, first serious GMing experience that wasn't, like, for a couple of friends for one night, and it was intense.
1: That is diving into the deep end, running for kids. (laughs) (laughs) Did
2: they get it? Like, did they get the rule? Like, you know, there are a ton of rules to Dungeon World.
0: Yeah, we picked Dungeon World because it was... For three people who had to learn it in like a month, it seemed a lot easier mm-hmm. for, th- for them to yeah. learn to run it. And also, yeah, for the kids, like it, it was one, one thing to roll 90% of the time, just mm-hmm. roll those two D6 and, yeah, and it meant that when the kids did things like I would like to dive under the water and talk to the mermaids, I had everything I needed to be like, cool, I've made up a rule. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: sitting at the table and it's gonna it's gonna we're all gonna remember it but it's going to abide by the very simple structure that all the other rules have had and i think that made it really stretchy and responsive in play and it was a really yeah. good fit with that group
2: yeah because kids aren't really out to like min max their characters over a level one to 20 campaign
0: there's always one kid <Yeah>. But no, they don't. I mean, like they didn't know, I asked them they were they were nine to thirteen and they were sort of airing on the younger end of that, um, except for a couple of thirteen year old girls who were practically adults. Um, but I asked them if they knew what D and D was and their closest reference I think it was an adventure time episode with a oh, wizard yeah, of course. who makes okay. them play D and D. Or no, it's Gravity Falls episode of the Wizard who makes them play D. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, I think I've seen that. It's really good. Yeah.
0: Yeah they did not know what we were doing.
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, that's so fun, though. <laughs>
0: it's, it's really fun running D&D with, with uh, a fresh audience that isn't coming to it with expectations of how it's supposed yeah. to work.
1: I have, I have a 12-year-old daughter for whom I've run numerous games uh, over the years, and we're all indoors with the coronavirus situation uh, at the moment, and she and her friends are all connecting online. They've decided they want to play D&D, and she's the GM, so... Uh, we have like I have forty eight hours to like turn her into a GM, so lots of thought about like how and it's got to be D anD D, so um, yeah. Yeah. just lots of thoughts about what is the simplest thing I can boil this down to. Um, yeah. So that's that's been fun. I've been doing that today So
2: it's, it's not give her the Dungeon Master's Guide and it's not time <laughs> yeah. to cover I, I mean work I well, yeah. yeah
0: work with the the basic 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 chunk, but she might also have specific questions and then you can go and get the answers that she asks for them too right yeah
1: Yeah. for sure and what I've learned from observing her and her friends is I don't know if this is common with kids their age but they do a lot of role-playing just um, outside of like a game context they Mm role-play in their little fandoms and things like that and so this is it's really more just like hey here's a a die that you can introduce (laughs) in to help you know to support the role-playing you're already kind of doing yeah Uh, so We'll see how it goes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, one of the things that I noticed with the 9- to to 12-year-olds, and then, like I said, a couple of 13-year-old girls, the older kids had lost access to that kind of spontaneous play, Mm. collective narrative play. Um, But the Mm. younger kids were still totally fluent in it. And giving the older kids this structure gave it back to them, and it blew their minds. Oh, that's so cool. So I was really glad I got to do that. I just wrapped up a four week session with older teens, 16 to 18, I think, who also had never played none of any any of them, any D&D. And we played Ryutama. And again, I think I was able to sort of give them back this kind of collaborative, creative experience that they maybe hadn't Mm -hmm. had in a while in that kind of immersive way. Um, And they were just so high on it. They were so excited about it. It was the best feeling.
2: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. How did you get connected with them? Was that also through the museum?
0: No, this is uh, one of the the groups I work with. They're an alternative high school. So they're a publicly mm-hmm. funded high school in Toronto that has an alternative curriculum model. Mm-hmm. Um, they're called yeah. the Oasis Skateboard Factory um, okay. because they are a skateboard high school, much like the uh, classic song. And so they, uh, yeah. they have a project-based curriculum and... Instead of splitting off into different classes, you get your English and your math and your art and your shop class all when you, like, take on a commission for an art show piece that you make on a skateboard or when you design a brand identity. So they're very autonomous, self-starting students who know how to get that stuff done. But some of them come to the school because they're really struggling with one particular thing. And for a few students, they still have to get an English credit separate from what the class provides. So I had proposed this as like a a test drive to see if this was a a way that they would enjoy reading and writing and reading Mm -hmm. aloud. And I can say that they really enjoyed it. And so we'll have to do the, after the, after the pandemic, when school's back in, um, mm-hmm. hopefully we 'll be able to do a postmortem with their teachers and see if we think this is something we should keep doing, but it was yeah like incredibly fun, so i don't yeah. even if it's just that once, whoa, it was great. two thumbs yeah. up
2: So I came to role playing games after college and you know just actually fairly recently and stuff, but me too, you know, playing it now I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like this would have been so helpful during English classes, like learning story structure and like, you know, character development, all these sorts of things. It's like, right. Cause it makes you kind of sit down and think about some of those things in a different way. Like, so, I mean, absolutely. Right. I feel like we could all make an argument for having it be an English class. Hells. <laughs> <pretty> yeah. <easily. laughs>
0: and there's, yeah. I mean, there's so many people who use it in educational capacities already. It's not anything that I've invented. Um, mm-hmm. Daniel Kwan, who I mentioned, ran it as part of the Royal Ontario Museum's like summer and weekend camps for kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, they it was pretty easy if you had a kid in D&D all summer to see them making leaps in literacy and math, as well mm-hmm. as a whole lot of other sort of social skills and self-regulation and collaboration And he ended up starting a program to help adults on the autism spectrum using D&D, and he works with occupational therapists. So, you know, I was able to go to him and be like, do you think this is something that would apply to high school students? He was like, of course. Yeah, Yeah.
2: (laughs) please. Everybody needs to be playing. No, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, you need to have your your D&D group and then also your therapist, just like make sure that's happening every week. And
0: And off we go into the future, (laughs) (laughs) well-armed.
2: That's right. Yeah, well let's shift over to our topic at hand. Yeah. So the, the topic you rolled, which is a really good one. How do you run games when your group is just one or two players? And so I think this is gonna be applicable, especially in the coming months as um groups are less likely to meet, right? Or you mm-hmm. might be, you know, having to run a game just for your family members just to do something, right, <laughs> to fill the time. Oh my <laughs> um, god, yeah. Yeah, so let's let's kind of open it up. I think so like kind of the basic question is, right, like what, what games have you run for for kind of smaller groups? You know, like what's sort of your optimal group size? You know, like what's yeah.
0: So I, I have a wonderful home group that mm-hmm. mostly I play in and don't run for, but it's a larger yeah. group. We we run from mm-hmm. three to seven players. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I also have been running and teaching role-playing games through a wonderful community organization called Dames Making Games. Hmm. Oh, cool. And they've been a, a an organization that's been a little more focused on video games. In the past two years, I came in and said I could do some RPG stuff, and mm-hmm. I've been doing that with them. Uh, And therefore, they're an organization to sort of support and enable people of marginalized gender identities to access, Mm -hmm. play and design and experimentation in games.
2: Oh, it's super cool. So,
0: yeah, they're very dear to my heart. And so one of the things that I've been running with them is a GMing mentorship club where I Hmm. run a game for a small number of community members and they all go home with books for a few weeks and we chat on slack at length about how to run the game. And then they come in Mm -hmm. and I support them while they run, they each run their own table for four more community members. So I've, I've been on this kind of cycle of like learn a game, practice a game, teach a game, learn a game, practice a game, teach a game. And that's where I've largely been like, Hey, two friends who are free (laughs) on Tuesday (laughs) afternoon. I uh-huh. just finished <laughs> reading Monster Hearts. Would you like to play Monster Hearts? Yeah. And and so that's... Like, I'm often playing with, like, two players in this mm-hmm. sort of scenario, or if we have a small group for the jamming club.
2: So when you're running a game for, like, two people, especially if it's a game that you kind of just learned, yeah, like, what are what are the different challenges to that from, say, like, running D&D for five people that you've been playing with forever?
0: I think, like... One of the things is when you have five people, you have enough just sort of random opinions and personalities. Mm-hmm. You're going to have at least one dominant personality at the table, maybe five. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you <Not> really <laughs> when you're running for two, uh, or even three, sometimes I find can feel like a small group if they're all quiet or if they're all kind of on their own paths. So I think, and this is a thing that I've not used, and it's had. It's, I, it's not worked but when I have used it it's worked is having like an anchor NPC hmm, mm-hmm. that's like very much there to fill in whatever social void exists in the group
2: mm-hmm. uh, yeah.
0: whether you just need someone to take one of the two sides or if you need someone to be like well I'm going in the dungeon or whatever yeah. having an NPC that's available that's somewhat flexible Yeah. I think that really helps
2: is that an NPC you often have to invent on the spot, or is it something that you've you've just sort of written written into everything? Now you're just like, I need to have one person that can drive things. Or
0: <laughs> so the 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 first sort of homebrew campaign I ever made was for my home group, my big group, and it's a dungeon mm-hmm. world campaign. And I just took Conan's Tower of the Elephant, and I was like, cool. Mm. You wake up chained to a pillar in a tower, and every floor is going to be another monster or puzzle or npc and you can go up or down or you can fight or befriend mm-hmm. or ignore the various people in the tower and there's you know the the solution to the tower is not set in stone and the number of floors is not set in stone. And it's a very modular... Yeah. So it's what I do often for conventions, and it's what I do to teach Dungeon World because I can be like, oh, they they really aren't interested in combat, so the next floor will be talking to the guards in the kitchen that they mm-hmm. broke in on their lunch break or whatever. Nice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, that, uh, that short story has come up on the podcast before in particular. It's a wonderful story, uh, but it came up in the context of uh, mixing the really out-there high fantasy weird stuff with really mundane stuff so in that story conan fights some lions and then he encounters like a godlike elephant alien from outside of time and space all in the space of about 25 pages it's it's a neat it's a neat trip
0: it's it's (laughs) very much my genre like i think that of of all of the conan stories is the one that i can point to be like yeah i want to worry about like how a gate works, and I want to worry about what you do when you encounter a lion, and I want to worry about how you talk to an ancient god. Um, these <laughs> yeah, are all exactly. things I want in my games.
1: And there needs to be a skill for each of those on my character sheet, <laughs> right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> or we roleplay all of it. I will find out. <laughs>
1: yeah. There you go.
0: To actually answer the question about the, the yeah. Anchor NPC, I have the players chained to a, a pillar with a, a genie and a bottle on it, essentially. And it's a gin and it would like to consume their souls. And so this Jinn inevitably wakes up and then they fight the jinn, they berate the jinn, they befriend the jinn, they seduce the jinn. I don't know what they're gonna do. But the jinn has a a strong personality, the jinn has specific wants and needs, but the jinn will also is a character that is by nature flexible hmm. to like, oh, what how do I get what I want out of these people? And the jinn will be manipulative and the jinn will mm-hmm. barter with them or argue with them or call them names or whatever it takes to egg them on to action.
1: That is a clever way to do it, yeah. Chris, you've run a lot of D&D for a group of four or five or so, right? Have you ever mm-hmm. done a solo game of that, a sidetrack of that, or with a I've different game? I've done
2: a solo. I had a couple times it's happened where my group, you know, for whatever reason, you know, people can't make it, so I run for, you know, two people mm-hmm. or so. And there's one session I ran, this was probably two years ago, or a year and a half ago, for two people, that I decided to do a flashback and just totally improv the whole session, and it was super fun, right? Because you only have two people, so it's a little easier to to, to manage expectations. But we sort of collaborative, collaboratively built this flashback scene where they went to this, you know, there's this town, and like you know, something happened, and then there was an effect that happened, you know, in the in the main story, um, and all that. But yeah, I really enjoyed it, but it was definitely more. Um, Like intimate isn't quite the right word, but yeah, kind of that, right? Like it's, you know, when you have five people, you can kind of diffuse, diffuse all that intensity kind of amongst the table. But when you have three people at a table, it can get a little bit more like everybody has to be pulling their weight. Or it's going to be very obvious. Yeah,
0: you right? you feel whatever the chemistry is, you feel it a lot more.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah totally. I mean, I've, I've played a lot of um, you know board games and stuff with you know, smaller groups. I think that's usually where. But like, yeah, I don't think like a one-on-one game. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> like thinking about it, I think that would just be. It might feel too silly in a weird way.
1: What if we flipped it around? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it. I think we we can and we probably will talk about some of the challenges for running for a small group of people, but what can you do with just one or two players that you really can't do
0: with five? You can get so much more story in. Yeah. It goes so much... I mean, especially something crunchier like D&D. Like, I've been running Ryutama, and it's it's not D&D, but it is in that direction on the crunch scale compared to, like, Dungeon Mm -hmm. World. And just getting people accustomed to the rules like it really each player you add adds time to getting people through any sort of skill check any sort of like where's this on my character sheet or oh did i have that feet or you know which is part of the charm of the game and i'm not saying it's bad but when you have two people or one person you have to have content <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. will run out of content a yeah, lot yeah. faster if you haven't prepared
1: you can't do that D and D DM trick of just listening to the characters' banter and then assembling the mission on the, the adventure on the
0: fly, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can if you have a good NPC and you can assemble a mission yeah. while you role play an NPC. Yeah,
2: while well, yeah. you're talking
0: about. <laughs> I don't, I don't know anyone who's been doing that recently. It sounds like it yeah. might be hard.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I've run a number of games for one person. It's often my wife, but not always, and. Uh, Most of them have just been traditional RPGs like D&D and Call of Cthulhu and uh, Warhammer, strangely. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And you do open the doors to much, I think, more compelling and personal um, storytelling, I think. Yeah. Um, You know, the, the obvious challenge is that depending on your system, you can pretty easily run into a situation where the... One character just doesn't have the the spread of abilities needed to tackle like your typical role playing adventure that has mm-hmm. a social stuff and combat stuff and yeah. So how might you guys approach that challenge? Like, what do you do when one character can't do everything, but you've got a whole run a whole adventure for him
0: So I, I haven't run anything by the rules for one person.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah. I like I my partner and I sometimes uh, just sort of tell stories where you ask what do you Mm do a bunch but we've never tried to to use a rule set but i picked up i picked up the uh one-to-one version of gumshoe at Mm. uh, gen con a couple years ago and that's something that i i would love to try because i think if it's gumshoe you will never have all the skills you need even if you have a whole group you you will probably still have one or two things you're missing and the game is designed to help you figure stuff out around that so I, I want to mm-hmm. take a look at that because this is a thing I've been thinking about as well
1: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I've got that book on my bookshelf and I really want to run it uh with probably my wife who likes Cthulhu stuff or and I'm talking about uh, Cthulhu Confidential is that the yes book you're that's what about? it's called yeah. yeah and yeah it um it looks so intriguing but I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet
2: I'm playing an Eternal Lies game right now which is super great but we we've had this meta moment a couple of sessions ago where it was like we're just trying to make sure that we had coverage on all the skills, right? And someone was like and architecture was the one that we just like no one was grabbing for whatever <laughs> reason. I love our having GM
0: architecture a... in a in a gum yeah. game, but
2: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but like, like I think our, our GM had like had some cool stuff for it. So it was, yeah. <laughs> I don't know.
0: I, I like that skill spread because it makes you think as a GM. About having something for any of those skills, but also as a player, about being like, wait, could I solve this with architecture? Yeah, yeah. What? It's a murder. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, I think that's so yeah. great.
2: Yeah, but I do. I mean, I do like that. Now that you're talking about it, I mean, it it does sound kind of fun to be able to present challenges to a small group of people where they they very clearly don't have the resources, right? Because that is one disadvantage, I think, of of having you know five five or six players, right, like, what? whatever game you're playing, they probably found a way to make sure they have coverage, so there's probably someone who's, like, the good person at this particular thing, but, like, it's, everybody knows, like, role-playing games are more fun when the players kind of fail, right? Like, when they <laughs> when they roll and it, it doesn't quite get the result that they wanted because then they have to, you know, react to it and, like, everybody's sort of, you know, trying to make it up yeah. as they go. But, yeah, so with one or two players, right, you have a better chance of uh, player failure, which is what everybody's really <laughs> looking for, <laughs>
0: Yes. I, I'll say that works great in Dungeon World yeah. and in Apocalypse World, like you what 'cause because two thirds of your die rolls are either mm-hmm. an interesting success or complete failure, when you are more likely to have players that are bad at things, the story goes in places no one at the table could have seen coming. So oh, yeah. Um
2: yeah, so Andy and I, we played a game of Blades in the Dark with, you know, some other other friends. And that's that's a system where, yeah, it's just like you are always feeling like you are flopping around and flailing. <laughs> okay, so Andy, you said that you've you've run a couple games, yeah, for like your wife, like one-on-one. Yes. Yeah. Do you, um have you ever just run, have you run anything for like strangers that's like just two people? I have not. Yeah,
1: I think that would be a little bit of a challenge for me. I don't know how I'd feel about that. It certainly helps when you're running a game like this it is going to be a little more intense like you said intimate is not quite the word but i think we yeah. know what you mean and that would be a hard thing to establish quickly with someone you didn't know well like mm-hmm. at a convention or something i have been at a few conventions where like i was the only player that showed up or just one or two of us showed up and usually the gm said and eh, let's let's forget it <laughs> refund your ticket uh what <laughs> what about you does that is that something you would do at a convention um for the challenge of it or
2: yeah i think i might you know like if you know, it was a safe convention to do that at. Right. Like, yeah. you know, like and the, the person seemed, seemed okay. I just had this stray thought of like what celebrity you'd want to do like a one-on-one <laughs> session with as your GM. And because like most of the world's population, I'm probably, you know, thinking about Jeff Goldblum at least once a day. <laughs> I think like yeah. he would be a really good person to sit down with That's Just like someone who just seems sort of naturally safe that you could just tell a story with back and forth right mm-hmm. and like would just kind of go with it like that's the sort of personality I think you have to have for that small group setting um yeah and I don't know if like I necessarily have that to be able to sit down with someone and be like look this is going to be super fun it's just you and me <laughs> you know? like we're yeah. going to tell this story <laughs> on the
1: player side what does a player mm-hmm. need to bring for a one-on-one game like that to work do you guys think
0: like when when I've been one of two players or one of three players you really have to be on the whole time like I think when you're playing in a group with five other people, you really do kind of take turns, right? Yeah. Um, and you can draw or clean up your character sheet or go get snacks or whatever. But yeah, when mm-hmm. you're sitting down with one other or two other people, like you have to be on when you're there because as soon as you detach, it just grinds to a halt. It's somewhere between intimate and intense, but it is definitely yeah. it's highly, highly focused social time,
2: yeah yeah yeah, is that i mean is that i'm I'm trying to think if that's a positive thing or is that like uh a, a warning <laughs> sign that the way we're playing games is maybe too intense, right like right or is that like a like a good thing right that's that's sort of what I'm asking that we it has to be that sort of intense and present,
0: <laughs> I think it really it's a, just a matter of taste, right, like mm-hmm. i Love sitting back and watching four other group members figure out what we're doing and yeah. uh, taking a little mental break and then hopping in when they need me or when they don't want me to, whatever makes sense. But I also like you get really cool stuff out of like a really focused session. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that we need to have like really heavy content in it, but just like you're all tracking all the NPCs and you all care about where things are and you have, like, mm-hmm. consensus at the table as opposed to a bunch of people like, yeah, I'll figure it out when I need to roll. You have everyone yeah. on the same page actively. That's really fun, mm-hmm. too, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, I couldn't do it every night. I'd be exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: It is a little exhausting just to think about, it, to be honest. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think it's, like, just everyone suddenly has to be at the same level of, in, like commitment as the gm at that point
2: yeah this this is making me think about um running session zeros for new players which you know that is something where i have done sort of one-on-one role playing with folks that i just totally did not think about right like it's it's when you have a new player coming on i'll sometimes do a session zero where we just meet sort of separately to say like okay well what's your character concept how's it going to fit in here's how to play, you know, those sorts of things. Right. So it can feel a little bit more of like a mechanical session, but at the same time, like there's still a little bit of role playing that has to happen there. Like, okay, like, well, yeah. Like, what do you want your character to be? Yeah. And, you know, let's talk about some of those things, but yeah, there is this nice focus to it too, where you can like just really drill down and think about like, okay, like what are these characters' hopes and dreams and, and, and those sorts of sorts of things. And you know, how's it going to fit into the story? To me, thinking back, like I really like those sessions because you can focus on the story and then a lot of that gets lost almost immediately as soon as you have four or five people Mm. because it's like well I I don't I don't know how to fit all that in (laughs) you know and not just be like okay well we're just going to focus on this character this time
1: Chris in your D&D game did you at your lunchtime game did you ever have somebody want to pursue a very personal to their character story or opportunity that just didn't make sense for the rest of the group? did you think oh, yeah. about uh, taking people on little side sidetracks like that or maybe a, a one-on-one session
2: yeah that's really interesting I've never thought about doing it sort of after we've started but maybe I could I mean there is there's one player I have who has this um he's a warlock and he has a patron that he had this really neat concept for that we just have not been able to explore at all right like so his, his patron demands that he leave this the statue of his patron um inside of like castles and things like that and then it just kind of wreaks havoc the next night you know and then like they they move on to the next town (laughs) it sounds charming yeah it's it's very charming but it's a fun idea and so like the the last place he left it was this town that they just left you know they they went away from right and then the campaign's gonna end you know but i had all these like kind of ideas about like what happens when they come back yeah But, like, that's one of those things where it's, like, yeah, I mean, it's really cool, but it's also it would be pretty destructive to sort of the, the general campaign if we really focused on that every time yeah. <laughs> we went somewhere. Um, but maybe that's just a lack of imagination on my part. But, yeah, what about you, Shell? Like, what do you what do you do when, yeah, like, a single player has an idea?
0: I mean, sometimes when you have a big group, you have to just be like, okay, epilogue. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. Know? I think that, you know, when the, when the structure that you have doesn't totally solve everything like that's probably a good sign that your players Mm -hmm. brought a lot to the game yeah and then yeah if you can find a way i definitely because so much of what i do right now with with dames making games is these one shots or super short campaigns we Mm -hmm. always have to do epilogues where it's like oh how do you think that will work out because i get to sit there when i'm running like open rpg nights and community members come to run games i got to listen to a night where this group played alex roberts for the queen
1: which mm. is a oh, yeah.
0: uh, wonderful storytelling game using card prompts. Um, and there's no character mm. creation or anything. You just get right into it. And it it either works or it doesn't, I find, for the group. Um, and this okay. group was like, whoa, so into it. And just like they didn't need anything more than what the game gave them to just run with the story. And so they finished the game. And then they sat there for like maybe on, as long as an hour Discussing and negotiating and role playing out all the things that would have happened after the game was done.
1: Nice. Wow.
0: And it was clear that, like, this game had simply been a springboard for them to tell a story Mm -hmm. that went well beyond the bounds of what the cards gave them. And that's, like, yeah, I think you have to give people room for the things they bring, even if it's just lip service almost, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I. the, the teens that I ran Ryutama for, I gave them an anchor NPC because they'd never really played this sort of game mm-hmm. before and I needed someone to egg them on and sometimes you need someone for them to get mad at. So they got really mad at this NPC. They were so fed up with them <laughs> um, just as a group. Uh, and At the end, he was knocked out in battle, and one of them stole his sword. <laughs> and it wasn't mid-game that she stole it; it was in the wrap-up. I was like, "Okay, well, what treasure do you take from the haunted castle?" And she was like, "I take Gavin's sword." <laughs> and I was like, "This sounds like it's really important to you, so yes, absolutely, you yes, take yes. Gavin's sword." <laughs> oh,
2: That's good. So that Maybe the curse treat you well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> don't don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she. She needed just this much epilogue for her vengeance. Um, mm-hmm, but it gave yeah. her catharsis and it made her talk about it afterwards and it made her really pumped. And yeah. L-
2: That's super great. Yeah.
0: Let her do the really in character thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so we should wrap up pretty soon, but I have kind of one final question, right? So if you. You know over the next month month or two, right? if you're gonna run a game for your family or some close friends who have um self quarantined for enough time and all that <laughs> right like what what system would you choose to run you know run a game in, or like is there a particular adventure that you're thinking about that like, oh yes, this would be the one to run for like one or two people
0: oh gosh, I have been so my my home group i've I've talked them into playing Ryutama with me because I learning it, I just mm-hmm. fell in love with it. So I like certainly hope we get to do that at least digitally. But because I have that sort of brain, I've been listening to albums and coming up with an idea for like a a larger campaign. And I would love Mm -hmm. to like even do like a really loose rules light play test of that with something like dungeon Mm -hmm. world or Mm, something even looser. And that would be something I'd love to do with like my partner and a few close friends. Um, Yeah and then there, like just something to be like hey i just have these plot points and these ideas do you want to see what you think of the story um, and yeah. get them to try that though you know what i i also i have to run trophy gold uh in the next month cuz i need to play test the thing i'm writing for them so that is actually what i am actually going to do That's the actual question. <laughs> that's the, that's <laughs> yeah. the actual answer and that's going to be a blast too so yeah. But for that one, I will pick people who are are comfortable with the potential of character death. It's not I'm not supposed to kill everybody, but
2: (laughs) not supposed to. It's a horror, but it's on the table kind of thing. Yeah,
0: Yeah. it's on. It's very on the table with that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) What about you, Andy? What would you? What are you thinking? Yeah. Well, you
1: you know, I'm having some ideas for that just on the basis of this conversation. My wife and I were talking a little bit earlier uh, about sitting down with our kids and and just talking about are there some cool projects or stuff like that that, that as a family we want to pursue just while we're mm-hmm. in this kind of we're kind of quarantined in our house you know that sort of thing and uh, I I think it would be really fun to take out that copy of Cthulhu Confidential and see if in the next month or two my wife and I could, could take it for a trial run because so I think that would be pretty fun I would love to try that out I do know that I will be running some Uh, games using fate core for small groups of people so i don't know how if that lends itself well to small groups or not because i don't have (laughs) much experience running it but i guess i'm gonna find
2: out so yeah Uh. (laughs) (laughs) i think it does from from what i know about it i I think
1: think so it seems pretty flexible uh so i'm i'm not worried about it at all but uh we'll see Yeah. yeah Yeah, and uh, Chris, can, how would you answer your own question there? Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I should have thought about that. Yeah, yeah. we tried to.
1: We um, we bought you several minutes here. Come on, it's a better every be good.
2: Yeah. Um. So I ran the the Quiet Year a couple times in the the past year. Um. And I really like that. I. What I don't like about it is that it just sort of ends, and I really want to like run a game of the Quiet Year and have it be like the the start of something else, like the create the world for some other game. Um, so that's something that I've, I've considered as, yeah, inviting, yeah, either playing it with my wife or, you know, inviting some close friends to just, like, sit down and, like, we're going to play The Quiet Year, but with the intent of, at the end of this, then we're going to have a, you know, a setup for, like, a short D&D campaign.
0: Hmm. Nice. Something like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that sounds um, really cool. Because, yeah, because I've done, like, I've tinkered with that a little bit, doing sort of collaborative world building even within D&D, and I think it can actually work pretty well. It's just for whatever reason D is saddled with this sort of gm is god um sensibility that i don't think you really necessarily need but i think yeah doing something a little bit more structured sit down like let's actually draw out the map and decide who the npcs are and stuff and like sure i'll play those maybe you'll even play some of them too but then we can we can play in this world so yeah who knows though who knows what will happen
0: <laughs> yeah That's super fun though
2: yeah <laughs> um yeah well let's see i guess is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that you've been working on or i mean we're gonna put some stuff in show notes show notes and we'll link to things but
0: thanks uh yeah i mean i i'm going to write up a blog post about the the campaign i played with the the high school students because it was Mm, (laughs) amazing
2: uh
1: sure i want to read that yeah they
0: they were great Um, it's such
1: a timely topic. I I mean so many I know so many people whose kids are kind of getting into it. I, it's a really good topic to be write, writing and talking about, I think.
0: I I love talking about it. I mean I I think the secret to running it with kids is to just make sure you listen to them cuz they'll <laughs> tell you what they want. Yeah. Um I have some adventures that I've written that are all very spooky that I'm very proud of. So if people mm-hmm. Uh, like a spook, I have some cystic, system agnostic things, um, oh, nice. and I'm nice. I'm just going through. I shut down my shop ostensibly for a convention that unfortunately got canceled, um, but I'll open that up again. And then I've got PDFs and uh, fabric maps mm-hmm. and stuff for those. Oh, cool. Um,
1: Where would people go to to find these and other stuff that you're working on?
0: Uh so all all my stuff. The anchor is partiblecity.net. Um, okay. And then if you just want to buy things, it's the. Uh, it's at www.sorcererscatalog.shop, um, okay. yeah. And because I'm Canadian, it's catalog with a U-E on the end, <laughs> um, yeah, which might be affecting my SEO. That could have been a terrible mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: That's great. Well, we'll yeah. those will be linked in the uh, show notes. But, uh, yeah, everybody should go check out what Shell is working on.
0: Thanks. Yeah
2: um okay and then the last thing that we do and i think we warned you about this is so we need to replace the topic um on the table that we just rolled yeah and so do you have anything that you've been thinking about that's like this would be a really good topic for some poor soul to uh i
0: i think there needs to be something about like table aids and maps and okay. like do you use maps do you make maps what's your favorite kind of map do you like a whiteboard do you like a fabric map what how do they change play um yeah because i'm very crafty i love having stuff like that at the table of making stuff like that and i want to hear what other people are doing with it or if it's even relevant
2: okay yeah, yeah. that's great so so maps and map making at the table yeah <laughs> all right well thank you so much all this was um super great we just appreciate it yeah i appreciate all the time and all the the wisdom too but um yeah so i've been chris salzman i've been andy Rowe. and again we were joined by shell khan
0: thank you so much for having me this is wonderful
2: remember if your players are having fun you're a great gm